Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right. Luke chapter 9, verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. What kind of spirit? He set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. We're coming to the end of the ministry of Jesus. And now he has set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. This is it. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to become king. All that has been prophesied, all that has been anticipated, all that has been waited for, for so long, it's happening now. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to become king. Yes, it's by crucifixion. He's told his disciples that they don't understand it, they don't believe it, they don't get it, but Jesus knows. And he sends his disciples out ahead of him to prepare the way. They're like John the Baptist. They're preparing the way. Yes, they're going into the villages ahead of their route to Jerusalem to make preparation for food and lodging. But more than that, they are being prepared to receive the king who is on his way to the holy city to become the king. Now, if you're going to travel from Capernaum in Galilee to Jerusalem in Judea, you have to pass through Samaria, where the Samaritans live. Who are these Samaritans? You've heard of them, but who are they? Well, they were a people who were ethnically related to the Jews, and they were religiously similar in that the Samaritans also had the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible as their sacred text. But the Jews and the Samaritans also had theological differences. Central to their theological differences was a dispute over where the holiest of all was. Where was the place for the most sacred worship. The Jews said, well, it's the temple in Jerusalem. The Samaritans said, no, it's Mount Gerizim here in Samaria. This is the Mount of Blessing. This is the Mount that the blessings were spoken from after Israel first entered into the promised land. You might remember 
On another occasion when Jesus was passing through Samaria, he sat weary at his journey at the well of Sychar and a Samaritan woman came out and they began to talk and it didn't take two minutes before she was raising this controversy. She says, you Jews, you say that it's in Jerusalem that you're supposed to worship, but our patriarchs, our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they worshiped on this mountain right here. And she tried to draw Jesus into that theological controversy. Jews and Samaritans, so much in common, so much similar, and yet they'd learned how to lean hard into their disagreements. And their relationship was one of vitriol, acrimony, hatred, and sometimes it spilled over into violence. I think we probably can say that the relationship between Jews and Samaritans in the first century is not entirely unlike the relationship between Israelis and Palestinians today. Much in common, but they tend to lean into their differences. Well, as the disciples were going ahead of Jesus, preparing the way, preparing to where he would come to be welcomed as the Messiah on his way to receive his kingdom in Jerusalem, there was a particular Samaritan village that refused to welcome Jesus. They said, no, not welcome here because he's going to Jerusalem and we're not down with that. Enter James and John Zebedee. These are two of Jesus' 12 disciples. James and John Zebedee. They were fishermen from Bethsaida. They comprised two-thirds of Jesus' most intimate circle. Peter, James, and John. It's this James and John. Jesus had given them a nickname. He said, I'm going to call you two brothers sons of thunder. <laughs> right there, you already know now what they're like. I mean, if someone has the nickname son of thunder, they're not quiet. They're not shy. They're not measured in their response to things. They're like thunder. By the way, these are the two brothers who during this journey to Jerusalem will ask Jesus to be seated at his right and his left in his glory. They imagine themselves seated upon golden thrones. Of course, what they're actually doing is asking to be crucified with Jesus Christ because the cross is his glory. And that's why Jesus says, you do not know what you are asking. And besides that, it's not mine to give, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Those on the right and left of Christ and his glory were the two thieves. All right, let's go back to the text. Verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, those sons of thunder, saw this, saw that Jesus had been refused a welcome in a Samaritan vi village, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? All right, we'll come back to this story. 
But uh, we need to talk about the Tishbite a little bit. Elijah the Tishbite, the greatest of the Hebrew prophets. He too was a son of thunder, by the way. He was irascible, he was bold, he was daring. Now toward the end of his prophetic ministry, the king of Israel, King Ahaziah, wanted to inquire of Elijah the Tishbite. So King Ahaziah got a captain and a platoon of 50 soldiers and said, go find Elijah and bring him to me. They went out, they found Elijah sitting up on a hill. The lone prophet sitting up on a hill. And the captain said, man of God, come down. The king requires your presence. And Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And fire came down and consumed them. The king sent out another captain with another company of 50. They come to the hill where Elijah is seated. And they said, oh man of God, come down. The king requires your presence. And Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And fire fell from heaven. And now we have 102 dead men at the bottom of the hill where the prophet Elijah is just sitting. We pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 13. Again, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, man of God, Please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s. But let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Here's a question for you. Who sent fire from heaven to kill those 102 men? Was it God? It's not what the text says. It was Elijah. Don't blame that on God. Elijah brought down the fire from heaven on those two companies of 50. You say, could Elijah do that? I mean, without God? Well, we can. Have you ever heard of a predator drone and their hellfire missiles? We can call down fire from heaven, and we do. 
This third captain comes and what he just he doesn't stand at the bottom of the hill and yell at the guy. He comes up there and gets on his knees and he says, man of God. Let my life be precious. In your sight. Don't let my life be cheap to you. I've been in a couple of places in the world where I just felt like, you know, life is cheap here. And it's an uncomfortable feeling. He says, let my life and the life of these 50 be precious. Twice now, you have not seen people as having precious life. And you burned them up. Man of God, please, let my life and the life of this to be precious in your sight. Do you believe that life is precious? It's not cheap. Let my life be precious in your sight. And then the angel of the Lord. Oh, now we have the Lord showing up. The angel of the Lord, often theologically identified with the Son of God. If you want to find God in this story, it's here. The angel of the Lord says, well, the angel of the Lord says what the angel of the Lord always says. What do angels say when they always show up? Yeah. Don't be afraid. Because we are afraid. It's what heaven has to say to earth. Don't be afraid, Elijah. Go. Go with him. Oh. Well, that reveals something. Why is Elijah calling down fire from heaven on these men? Because he's afraid. He's afraid. This shows up more than once in Elijah's life. When Elijah acts out of fear, he becomes very dangerous and violent. Hatred is the mask that fear wears to make itself look tough. If you take... Fear off the table, how many enemies do you really have? Elijah was merciless as long as he was afraid. Now, let's go back to Jesus and James and John and the unwelcoming Samaritan village. James and John know this story, but they remember it selectively. They're refused welcome by a Samaritan village. They take offense at this and they suggest to Jesus that maybe we can call down fire from heaven like Elijah did. They remember the story, but they remember it selectively. They remember halfway through the story or two-thirds of the way through the story. They don't remember the angel of the Lord coming in saying, quit being afraid. Go, go with them. Quit being afraid. They don't remember that part. They leave that part out. It's a perfect example of how we can use the Bible to justify our own prejudices. That we already tell ourselves what we want to believe and we just flip enough pages and oh, here's one, here's one, here's one. Here's one that'll back me up on that one. And we use the Bible to proof text what we already want to believe. Hey, Jesus, can we, can we burn up these worthless Samaritans? Because, you know, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. 
Elijah did it. It's in the Bible, so it must be good, right? The question isn't, can we find it in the Bible? The question is, can we find it in Jesus? Oh, that's a paradigm shift right there. The question isn't, can we find it? James and John found it in the Bible, but they didn't find it in Jesus. If we weaponize the Bible to hurt other people, we do not have the spirit of the Lord. That's what James and John were doing. They were, they were weaponizing the Bible to hurt other people. Just having a Bible verse doesn't mean anything. What kind of spirit do we have? I mean, if you have the wrong spirit, you can just turn the Bible into a hammer to pound on people. If you have the wrong spirit. It's not enough to have the Bible. You have to have the right spirit. You have to ask, what kind of spirit are we of? As the Apostle Paul says, the letter of Scripture kills, but the spirit gives life. Jesus judges even scripture. Or if that's too much for you, we'll say it this way. Jesus judges how we read and how we interpret scripture. And by the way, scripture always has to be interpreted. And Jesus judges how we interpret it and how we apply it. All right, so James and John, we've been insulted. These terrible Samaritans, I mean, they're like, their theology is terrible. They don't even believe the right things. And now, Jesus, you're coming and they won't even, they won't even let us come in. Should we call down, should we give, Jesus, can we contact the predator drone and send one of those hellfire missiles on them like Elijah did? Verse 55, he turned and rebuked them. And said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Jesus rebuked James and John. He rebuked them. That's the same word used to describe what Jesus did when he silenced unclean spirits. He rebuked them. James and John had a Bible verse, but they had a wrong spirit. And Jesus is rebuking that wrong spirit. You do, know, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. What spirit were they of? Well, they might have been of the spirit of Elijah. That's what Elijah did. You say, well... Aren't we supposed to be of the spirit of Elijah? Are we? Well, it says that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Yes, yes, that's true. And what does Jesus say? He says, and of those born of women, there is not a risen a greater than John the Baptist, but the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Because in the kingdom that Jesus brings, it's not the spirit of Elijah that's to come upon us. It's the spirit of Christ himself, the Holy Spirit, the spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son, the spirit who is the spirit of love, the spirit of advocacy, the very life and love and energy of God. 
That's the spirit that's to come upon us. After all, we're not Elijahs, we're Christians. He says, you don't know what spirit you were of. They didn't know what spirit they were of because deception is one of the symptoms of a wrong spirit. When, the spirit. when a spirit comes upon you that is not clean, that is not light and life and love and the spirit of the Lord, one of the symptoms is a self-deception. Last Sunday, our gospel reading was from the previous chapter where the demons end up leaving the man, entering the pig, the herd of swine, and then they, in their madness, they rush off the cliff and are drowned. And I said, don't give your allegiance over to any ism because isms become easily possessed, turn into a herd and rush off a cliff. Now, if you are not in the herd and you're just seeing what's happening. This, this spirit has come upon this group, this crowd, this herd, and they're, and they're infuriated and they're crazy and, and they're running off a cliff. You just stand there and go, ooh, those people are crazy. But if you're in that group and that spirit has come upon you, you believe that you are acting rationally, that everything you are doing is justified and rational because of a wrong spirit. Because the self-deception of groupthink within isms is so seductive, we constantly need to ask, what kind of spirit is this? There are many spirits at work in the world, and we can be swept away by them. John the Elder says that we need to test the spirits. Remember that? 1 John 4, 1. John the Elder says we must test the spirits. Is it an angry spirit? Is it a violent spirit? Is it an unmerciful spirit? Is it a dehumanizing spirit? Is it a malevolent spirit? That is, does it wish harm to befall others? Well, this is not the spirit of Jesus. The son of man did not come to destroy lives, but to save lives. Test the spirits. Does it, does it move in harmony with love? Does it coordinate with the flourishing of life? If it doesn't have the marks of love and life, it fails the test. And you need to get away from that spirit. So here's a question that you can ask yourself. Who are my Samaritans? Who are my Samaritans? Who are Samaritans to me? Who are the people? Who are the people with whom you fiercely disagree with politically and theology, theologically? Who are the people that based upon your politics and your theology, you fiercely disagree with. Maybe you could even desire judgment from on high to fall upon them because Lord knows they deserve it. Okay. That, that's, if you answer that question, you, begin, you can begin to 
identify who your Samaritans are. And the whole point of identifying who your Samaritans are is so that you can begin to do some inner work. In fact, I would suggest you start like this. I would, I would say sit with Jesus about it. For you pray some prayers that'll bring you into the presence of the Lord. Pray some prayers that aren't your own prayers because if you only pray your own prayers, you'll get stuck in yourself. Pray some prayers that come from without that are given to us by the church. Pray some prayers that'll bring you into the presence of Jesus. Pray prayers that are not your own that bring you into the presence of Jesus. And then, then you can pray your own prayer and you can say, Jesus, show me who are my Samaritans. And he'll show you. You won't take long. Will come up in your mind. Those are your Samaritans, my child. And then you pray this, Jesus, show me the good Samaritan. Show me the, we'll talk about the good Samaritan in two weeks. We'll get to that. Show me the good Samaritan. And then finally you can say, Jesus, show me how you look at Samaritans and help me look at them the same way. And then just sit in the presence of Jesus and just breathe. Just breathe the air that is around you and Jesus as you sit together. Because what does Jesus do when he appears in the upper room? He breathes on them and receive, it says receive the Holy Spirit. And among those that Jesus is breathing on and receiving the Holy Spirit are James and John. So that instead of being sons of thunder, they can become sons of love. But if you're going to, if you're going to breathe, if someone's going to breathe on you, you have to be pretty close to them. So it's not just thinking about it or reading a book, but, but you come into the presence of Jesus and you're so close that Jesus can breathe on you and you begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The breath that comes from Jesus enters you and you begin to have a, different attitude towards Samaritans. You know that Perry and I have walked the Camino de Santiago three times and we talk about it a lot. You'll just have to bear with us. Camino de, I always say it in Spanish, Camino de Santiago. It's the way of St. James. Camino de Santiago just means the way of St. James. And it's the St. James that we're talking about. This James, son of thunder, this James Zebedee, this James, can we call a drone strike down on him, Jesus? That James. The reason there's a 1,200-year pilgrim path to Santiago de Compostela, St. James of the Field of Stars, is because traditionally the bones of St. James are buried there. And it becomes a place of pilgrimage for 1,200 years now. As you walk the way of St. James, all along the way, not just here and there, it's ubiquitous, right, Perry? You will see depictions of Santiago Peregrino, St. James the Pilgrim. They're everywhere. You see them constantly. For 500 miles, you see these. Put up, that's that's St. James depicted as a pilgrim. He's got his pilgrim staff, his water gourd, his scallop shell, his pilgrim's hat, his pilgrim's cape, his pilgrim's pouch. He's, he's all got up like a pilgrim. 
That's St. James. That's, that one happens to be a statue just right on the outskirts of Santiago. But you see them everywhere. Here's a picture of just a, a tile, kind of a, a more whimsical depiction of St. James. I took that picture. It was just on a gate. I liked it. In fact, we have a couple of those in our house. Isn't that right? Perry, Perry, Perry just loves Santiago Peregrino. And we have a little statue of him and we have one of these little tiles of him. And you'll see him in the churches. This one is from the, the cathedral in Burgos. There's uh, St. James, you know, clearly a pilgrim. He's just, he just on the journey. Just, he's, on, he's, he's just going from village to village. Luke 9, 56. For the son of man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. No drone strike, no calling down the fire from heaven. Just, just be a pilgrim. Just keep going. Life is not a war. It's a pilgrimage. You don't have to fight every battle. Just move on. Just go. Just walk with Jesus. Just keep going. I like it that James is connected with pilgrimage. I love Santiago Peregrino. I want to be like that. I just want to be, I just want to stay on the journey, keep moving through life. Just walk, just in humility, you know, he's shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, walk humbly with God. Just stay on the journey. So I like St. James the Pilgrim that you see constantly along the way. But there is another St. James. St. James I don't like. Santiago Matamoros. This is also in the Cathedral of Burgos, the same one that we just saw, the one that's where he's got the scallop shells in his pilgrim. This, is, this also is St. James. This is St. James Matamoros. Santiago Matamoros, Moore Slayer. That's what that means. St. James the Moor Slayer. Because in the medieval period, the Spanish Christians believed that St. James would aid them in their war with the Muslim Moors. Now, fortunately, you don't see as near as many. Um, we see him. Santiago Matamoros, St. James the Moor Slayer is there. You don't see near as many, but you do see them. But they tend to be just old because they're not reproducing those. They're not making new ones of that. But... That James exists in depiction. But that's, that's the James that calls, wants to call down fire from heaven on Samaritans. That's the James before Jesus has breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So it really presents to us two ways we can go through life. We can go through as St. James Montemoros, Riding on a horse. There's always some dude on a horse with a sword. Chopping down people. Get off your high horse. Get off your high horse. Don't go on Facebook like that. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Get off your high horse and be the pilgrim. Be Peace, St. James the Pilgrim. I got one more for you. No, not that one, not that one. 
Not that one. That one. There we go. Humble little dude. He doesn't have a sword. He's just got a staff. He's not looking to chop anybody down or call fire from on heaven. He understands his, his journey. And that, this little painting of St. James, the pilgrim, that's who that's St. James. It's supposed to be. He reminds me a little bit of St. Francis of Assisi. Kind of looks like, in fact, uh, um, St. Francis walked the Camino in the 13th century, 14th century, early, early 1300s. G.K. Chesterton said, St. Francis walked the world like the pardon of God. They refused us, Jesus. They, they wouldn't even give us, they wouldn't even let us come into their city. Walk the world as the pardon of God. Father, forgive them and just move on. Father, forgive them and then just move on. I aspire, I hope you're with me, I aspire to walk the world as the pardon of God. Amen? Join with me in praying the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's walk the world like the pardon of God. Amen. Stand up with me and let's prepare ourselves now to come to the table of the Lord by first confessing our faith and then confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness. Confess with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility, ask for mercy, ask for pardon, because this is who God is. In the name of Jesus Christ, 
your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.